Great, thanks Sam. Thanks guys for uh, encouraging us to just uh, focus our hearts upon Christ and what a great way to finish there, hey, in that last one. Um, how great the Father's love for us. That he would make it wretch. That's me and that's you. His treasure. And he does that by the cross and uh, reclaims us. Uh, yes, exchange kids are starting now, so you can uh, sign your the book out the back and make your way out there. That would be great. Um, just head out around to the uh, left of the lounge room, and you're all heading in that direction. Excellent. And uh, really fantastic today to see another addition to our uh, music team, our worship team. Uh, Sharon, thank you very much for coming and playing the violin. Sharon's been with us now uh, a few months and uh, now residing back in Shep, which she's a shepherd, shepherd and girl, but um, really great to have her and uh, playing a part. It's a really blessing for us as everybody contributes their gifts and uh, talents and abilities. We uh, absolutely love it. Okay, um, we are going today to finish off our series in Malachi, which we started sort of way back in November and we had a few sort of interruptions between now and then, so there's only one sermon left to go. And this is just giving you a heads up where we're going. So today we're going to finish off Malachi. Next week uh, we're going to do, you know, some may call it a Vision Sunday or Mission Sunday or something along those lines. Really what we're going to um, ask next week as we open up God's Word is, why is Exchange Church here? What's, uh, what's it all about? What's the purpose of Exchange Church here in Shepparton and in the greater Shepparton community? So we're going to do that next Sunday. And then beyond that, we're going to uh, move into a series from the uh, book of Philippians. We're going to work through the book of Philippians. Uh, that'll start the week after that. So um, Malachi today will finish off. I know it's a bit sort of stop-start, jumping all over the place. Next week, um, what is Exchange Church here for in, in the Greater Shepherding Community? And then uh, we're going to start a series on the book of Philippians, um, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, it's um, many Bible commentators I've read of recent say it's one of their most favourite books, the Book of Philippians. So we're going to go through that in a couple of weeks' time, and then over the next few weeks after that. But today, Malachi, as uh, we get to this last, is that echoing a bit, Dan? It's all right. Is it could be just my hearing's not hearing double or something like that. Uh, today, Malachi, though, um, we're going to uh, finish off there in chapters three and four. Uh, many of you would know a, uh, a lady, a woman called Justine Diamond, who was an Aussie girl living in Minneapolis, um, USA. Uh, she went out one night to report a suspected rape or a sexual assault that was taking place out behind her house. And uh, she did that, and as the police arrived, she went out to see them, and uh, she was shot by an officer. And you would have seen that news report uh, about July of last year. In what seemed like an open and shut case, the police offer has yet to be charged for this manslaughter or brought before any sort of um, hearing to find out what's actually happened. Uh, Justine's father, John Ruschik, I think is how you pronounce his last name, has made this plea since her death. And here we quote what uh, Justine's father said. Uh, Justine was a beacon to all of us. We only ask that the light of justice shine down on the circumstances of her death. It's really a plea for justice that Justine's father is making there, where justice at this point doesn't seem to have been done. And very unfortunately, it's a story that is echoed around the world where something happens and it just seems like justice has not been carried out. Justice has not been served in that situation. Uh, Today in Malachi, we're going to see people also again here not trusting in God and not trusting in his justice. 
crying out a similar thing, but we will see it's coming from a hollow perspective. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, go to the book of Malachi. It's a longish reading because we're going to cover all of those last two chapters, but chapter um, 4 is very short. So we're going to start in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 17. You might see in your Bibles, it looks like a funny thing. that Your heading might start just above chapter 3, but really it's all one complete uh, unit of thought. So verse 17 in chapter 2, we're going to start from there. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for justice, for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say... How have you robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer. For you, so that you will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine of the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, How have we spoken against you? You have said, It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and in a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares who serves him, his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings." 
You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Uh, Father, thank you for this uh, sobering passage of scripture here at the end of the Old Testament. Lord, these are your final words. For 400 years there is silence beyond these words. Uh, And then you spoke again through your son. And today we have uh, the New Covenant, the New Testament. Holy Spirit, we pray today that you will help us to hear these sober, uh, sombering words. And uh, to keep us, Lord, um, focused upon you. Understanding your justice. But also understanding the mercy and hope that you offer also in the face of this justice. Please help us now, we pray. Please help us to understand and please help us to work these words deep into our heart for transformation and change because that's what you want to do, Lord. You want to take your word working with your Holy Spirit to change us. Uh, So we ask that now in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, Just a quick recap for where Malachi is up to. Um, This is, as I just said, the last spoken, revealed word of God to the nation of Israel. Uh, There will be silence from God for the next 400 years until Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth. Israel has been back in Jerusalem. This is now back in Malachi and Palestine for maybe 50 to 100 years, roughly thereabouts. Uh, Wars and conquering invaders have left Israel as a smoking ruin. It's a mere shadow of its former glory. God has patiently put up with Israel continued rebellion for centuries and centuries and centuries. And eventually, when all else failed, he allowed judgment to fall upon them and they were carried off into captivity. But God has revisited them and brought them back out of the captivity, back to their former land, and that's where they are. But not much has changed in Israel's heart, even after they're going into captivity and coming out again. They're expecting much of God through prospering them and re-establishing them to their former glory as, in, as his chosen people. They're expecting that, but their lives are no reflection of devotion and worship to such a graceful God in doing that. Temple worship is a sham. We saw that earlier on. They were bringing the sick, the lame, and their rejected sheep and bulls for their sacrifices. The priests were not guarding the truth about God, but instead were just speaking a popular message which would tickle the ears of the people and not disclose the plain truth as God would have it. Men were divorcing their wives and hooking up with much younger women as well. We saw all this through Malachi. Religious life for Israel was just a formality. It was really just going through the motions. and There was no heartfelt conviction at all about who God is. They'd forgotten God's amazing grace in rescuing them from Egypt, bringing them back to the promised land, and they've lost sight of God's sustaining grace in keeping them down through the generations throughout those centuries. And it appears that even though God has brought them back to the promised land, Israel really has turned their back upon God and is refusing to live in his good and right ways. They've lost sight of the greatness of God. They've just lost sight of how great God really is. And that is a tragedy, a real tragedy. Because when we lose sight of the greatness of God, we begin to see our own greatness rise up within ourselves. 
and then we just live our own way, not God's way. So Malachi, God's anointed and appointed prophet, is now calling these guys out for doubting God's justice and not trusting in him. As you can see here, Malachi is a guy who sort of gets straight to the point. He presents God's word without beating her in the bush. He cuts straight to the quick and uh, gets into it. So let's follow with Malachi here in these last uh, couple of chapters as we see God speaking to us uh, at this part of the Bible. As we're seen through Malachi, there's like this dialogue going on between God and Israel. It's sort of like an interview. There's sort of like this discussion here. It's God's expressing what he's thinking. And then God replies again with exactly what Israel has been thinking or have been doing or have been saying. It's like a, it's a dialogue, but really it's a monologue. It's God actually speaking on their behalf. I say this, but I know what you're saying. You're saying that. It's like this interview that's going on. And we see, here, we see that right at the start of this long section where God lays out this problem again, this question, this thing that Israel has been saying. And he says it there in verse 17 of chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, this is Israel... How have we wearied you, Lord? By saying, this is God now, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, well, where is the God of justice? That's what Israel's thinking and that's what they're saying. It's nothing new, is it? Nothing new. Where is the God of justice? This is a question as old as the ages, if we really care to think about it. Down through the centuries, people have cried out, where is justice? Sometimes evil people seem to just get away with things, evil things, and they're never actually caught and brought to justice. Happens time and time again. And we have the same questions we can ask ourselves or see still happening today. Israel is saying here, God, we've kept up our end of the covenant. Well, in their own minds, they feel they've kept up their own end of the covenant. But evil people are still around us and you're doing nothing about it. Look, we've kept up our end of the bargain, but these people are still doing this stuff and getting away and you're not giving any justice. So we're beginning to doubt whether you are the God you say you are. We're not sure you're the God who you declare you are. You just let evil abound and you sit back and you do nothing about it, God. Where is the God of justice? Where's the justice in that? Really what's underlying here, what Israel is saying or thinking, is that they don't trust God. They don't trust God. They don't believe God is who he says he is. They just have stopped trusting in who God is. You say you're a God of justice, but you're not doing it or showing it. We can't trust you in that anymore. We've lost faith in you. And that's exactly what's happening here. And this is the tragedy when we don't trust God. Because when we do this, we turn away from God. When we actually say, no, I don't trust you in this situation anymore, God, we we begin to turn away and turn to our own way. And it says it there in uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 7. This is what happened. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and not kept them. They've turned away from trusting God, so they've turned turned away from actually following God and obeying him because they've actually lost faith in him. They've stopped trusting in God and now they've turned away. It's a disaster. When this happens, the end result can only be a humanity that is lost. They've lost their bearings. They've broken faith and they've stopped trusting God and they've gone their own way. In the end of this, humanity ends in fighting, turmoil and all sorts of bitter suffering when we begin to look into ourselves and not look to the God who's made us and created us. 
So here's their problem. Um, they've stopped trusting God. God goes on to sort of show them symptoms now. Here's the end result of not trusting in me. And let's not forget who God is talking to here. These are people who should be trusting in God. These are people who know all about God. That's the ones he's talking to. But these people are meant to be the ones who do trust him and believe in him. But here's the symptoms that God actually begins to reveal to them um, as, the, as a fallout here of not trusting in him. Firstly, Israel is robbing God by not worshipping him through the giving of money. He says it there in verses 8 and 9. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So because they've stopped trusting in God, they've now stopped giving what is rightly God's. The tithe, or the contributions here that um, God is talking about, was meant to be 10% of their income used to maintain the temple and the, uh, the livelihood of the priests. And they were required by law to contribute that to the priests. And uh, these guys stopped doing that. The nation stopped doing that. They lost faith with God. They stopped trusting in God. And when that happens, you actually say, well, I'll stop in this area and I'll stop in that area. And God says, and rightly so, you're robbing me. When you do that, you're robbing me. Everything you have is actually mine, says God. You don't own anything. Everything is mine and I have given it to you. Anything that you've received has actually come from me. And now, talking to Israel at this time, you won't recognise that it's mine, you won't recognise who I am and you won't even give me the 10% of what I asked to actually give back for the temple worship at that time. God's saying, you don't trust me and you're robbing me. As the fallout here of breaking faith and breaking trust in God. Money's always a touchy point with anybody. If you want to sort of get a discussion or a conversation going, bring up money and you'll get some reactions. You start talking money and generally people will listen. And it's normally two ways that they'll listen. How can I earn some more money? It's always one thing that sort of comes out when you talk about how can I get some more money? Or secondly, or how can I do something cheaper and save some money? And both of those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Like I've worked so hard for this, I can't give it away that easily, you know. It's taken me a lot of hours this week to earn this pay uh, check. And in the conversion process of becoming a follower of Christ, often the wallet is the last thing that gets converted. It's like that one thing that's strapped really tightly to our hip pocket or in that sort of deep recesses of our handbag and it's the last thing that God seems to be able to get hold of. It's like the last thing we can trust God with. We can trust him with other things, but we can't trust him with our wallet. We can't trust him with our finances. Fortunately, we're no longer living under the covenant of law. So the tithe doesn't apply to us. And you're all breathing a sigh of relief as I say that, aren't you? We're living under a new covenant, a different covenant now. And the covenant we live under now was one of gospel generosity. It's one of gospel generosity. So Jesus now frees us to trust in him with the money that he's given to us and allows us to be generous with the resources he's given to us through gospel generosity. So 10% of our money given now in worship in God is only really the start 
of being generous through this new covenant we live under. Look at what God says. Look at what God says here about this trusting in Him with their finances. Verses ten and twelve: Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for your blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God's saying, put me to the test. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with what I have given to you and see that I will abundantly Meet your need. Meet your need. It says it right there just before the end of verse, uh, before verse 11. Not meet our greed as such, but meet our need. God will abundantly meet our need as we trust him with what he's given to us. That's the first symptom of not trusting God. They're failing to trust him with uh, the finances they're given. Second symptom is this, that they are speaking uh, falsely about him. They are saying things that just aren't true about God. And this is what happens when we, and when we, don't, when we stop trusting him. Verse 13 and 15 of chapter 3. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, this is Israel, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Pretty hard charge to put against God there. But this is what happens when we stop trusting in God. We think wrongly about him and we speak wrongly about him. It becomes false. These guys are saying, and we can easily say it ourselves as well, what's the point in following Jesus? What's the point of trusting in God and obeying him and following him? We do everything right and we still seem to be hard done by. But look at these ones over here. They're doing the wrong things. They're actually breaking the laws. They couldn't care less about God and they are prospering. It is vain to serve God. It could easily just arise in our hearts like that and arise in our minds. We look around and say, I'm not doing as well as them and I'm trying to be obedient to God. I look at them, they're doing all the wrong stuff and they are living a way of a life. It just happens. And we get these false thinking, these false thoughts because we don't trust God. So there's the symptoms of not trusting God. They don't trust God with their money and they're not trusting God with their speech and their thoughts. Now, God doesn't have to, but he answers their complaints here. He answers their thoughts. He answers these doubts or their queries. And he does it by promising something. He says a promise here that someone is coming. Someone is coming. And we see it there in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. The Israelites have been wearily um, wearing God out with their whinging. It said right back at the start, you are wearing me. It's like you are wearing me out with this constant sort of barrage of complaint of, um, about me. So God says... You're looking for somebody to set the record straight. Because that's what the, there's no justice. You're looking for somebody to, to set the record straight. You're looking, you're looking for somebody so that justice will prevail. Well, God says, behold, which is like, listen up. Listen up. 
The one that you seek is coming, says God. Trust me in this. The one that you are seeking to set the record straight, he is coming. And here it goes on to say a description about this one that is coming in verses 2 and 3. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. God's saying, you guys won't get it when he comes. You you won't get it when he comes. My messenger, when he comes, will come as a purifier. He will try you and he will test you to purify your trust and your faith in me as your Lord. He will come and produce within you a pure devotion to me as he refines you. But I don't think you really get it who's coming, the Lord says. And then you will see my judgment, he says, following on from this messenger that I'm sending. He says it there in verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And then Malachi returns to this judgment again in chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that, that, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So God's really clear here with Israel in their complaining, in their whinging about who God is. He's saying, don't be confused about me, Israel. Don't be confused about what is coming. I'm a God of justice. I am a God of justice and I don't miss a trick. I miss nothing. I have a day that you cannot even possibly conceive of in your mind where my justice will be poured out perfectly and fully. Use a striking language here. And if we fast forward 400 years, we see Jesus, the Son of God. He didn't come to judge at that time, but his words certainly did judge. His, tr- his, his words of truth were like a sword that cut right down the middle. His words judged by revealing the hearts of those who were truly followers of him and those who didn't follow him. But Jesus also spoke about another day. In Matthew 10.15, he talks about this day here. He talks about another day. He talks about this day of judgment. It's a really terrifying picture here as, as we flick back to uh, Malachi 4 1. Because this is, this is the judgment that we're talking about here. There's a judgment when Jesus first arrives, but it's not the final judgment, it's just the judgment of his words. But there is this ultimate judgment that God is talking about this day of judgment. And we see that picture of it there, even in verse 1 of uh, uh, chapter 4 of Malachi. It's, it's a really terrifying picture, it's a really uncomfortable picture. It's something like that as you begin to just sit and sort of roll that thought around your mind from verse 1 there. It's, it's coming like burning like an oven. It's a very terrifying picture here of this judgment of God. It is something that takes your breath away, or at least it should take your breath away when you begin to think about this, what God is actually communicating here. Now, I don't know whether you have, I think probably a few of you have, 
Has anybody ever seen stubble burn? You see it out in the paddock. Burns pretty easily, doesn't it? Burns pretty easily. So what is stubble? Stubble's like that, this hollow stalk of barley or wheat or oats or some sort of grain. All, all the, the middle is dried out and it's like perfect fuel for fire. If you want to get a campfire going, just grab a handful of stubble and just put one match underneath it and it'll just it'll ignite like that. And when it burns, there's nothing but dust left. It just disintegrates. Now, stubble is just this, you know, this perfect fuel. And here is God giving us here a, a, a picture of this perfect justice. This perfect justice here that will leave no stone unturned in searching it out and dealing with all the injustice that's ever had taken place. God's saying, my justice will search and destroy every injustice that has ever occurred throughout human history. There will be nothing that will go unnoticed. It's a just picture, but it's a terrifying picture as we think about that. God's saying, my justice is like a burning oven. A burning oven. God's saying, I am deadly serious about my justice. I'm a just God, and nothing will escape my attention. I think sometimes we struggle with God's justice as Christians. We struggle with a passage like this. It just... It's meant to stop us. It's meant to actually, you know, put a shiver up our spine. It's meant to take our breath away. I think sometimes we think, oh, it's too harsh. It's too hard. And we dare not tell people about this. If we tell them that God's justice is like a burning oven, we'll probably get just push them away. They won't want to hear that. We find it really difficult sometimes to grasp this. For non-believers, they have no idea of God's justice. They really have no idea of God's justice. I mean, all they see is what they see happening in this world where people get away with stuff. They don't have any idea of this perfect justice that God has. And we can so easily lose sight of the fact that all those who don't take Jesus as their Lord and Saviour will face God's burning oven of justice. They will. It's uncomfortable to think about that, but it's the truth. For all those who don't take Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, they will face God's burning oven of justice. And it's clear here that the people of Malachi's day had lost sight of God's justice. They didn't trust in him anymore. They didn't trust in his justice. They said this, well, where is God's justice? This This was the word that was coming out of them. Where is this God of justice? Now this is the last word that God had spoken or would speak for the next 400 years. Pretty, pretty amazing to imagine that. Now, a people following a God and then nothing happens for 400 years. Can you imagine us today, 2018, if we were really following something and the last word we heard was in 1618, like 400 years ago. You would just like totally forget everything. Imagine if the last word was something like sombre and sobering, like God's justice is going to come like a burning oven. You would think, mate, where's the hope in that? If that's how it ended, if that's how it finished, God's burning oven of justice. It doesn't end like that, though. God's word, the Bible, is a glorious book, and God himself is a gracious God. 
It's not only filled with the truth of God's judgment, which the Bible has got that, it's also filled with the truth of God's hope and God's grace in the face of this unbelievable justice. And the Lord does give unshakable hope to Israel even in the middle of this passage in these last two chapters here in Malachi. Look in verse 7 there of chapter 3 in the middle. The Lord says, return to me and I will return to you. Return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. That is beautiful and that is marvellous hope that God gives there. God's saying, return to me and I will return to you. God says, stop running away from me. Stop chasing after the broken, shattered dreams of this world that you're trying to build your life on, not trusting in me. Give up this fruitless chasing after the wind to satisfy every woman desire of your life, totally ignoring me. Return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. Turn around and come back to me, the lover and the creator of your person. Come back to me and see that I am the reason for life. And again, the first part of Malachi, of chapter uh, 4, he says it. But for you who fear my name, you who fear my name, but for you who fear my name, those who reverence and those who worship God, those who've returned to God, turn back to him and now worship him freely, treasure him, see him as their Lord and their Saviour and their God. What does God promise here for those ones who, do, who um, return to him or Fear him in a reverencing way. He says there, The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like the calves from the stall. And again in verse 3, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So here in the midst of terrifying judgment, burning oven justice, God is saying there is jubilation, there is joy, and there is victory for all those who turn to me and reverence me and worship me and treasure me. This is the hope and the grace that God gives here for Israel, which can carry them easily through the next four centuries. They can live off that. They can live off that in the face of this sober and somber warning of judgment. How can God give us this hope then? How can he give us this hope in the face of this uh, justice. Again, if we fast forward 400 years, we see that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went into the burning oven of judgment on our behalf. That's exactly what Jesus did. He went into the oven. It's here that Jesus became the stubble that we are. He became this hollow stalk and took all of our sin upon himself and he went in there and represented us in the oven of justice. Jesus takes all of our lack of faith, our mistrust in God. Jesus takes all of our selfishness with our money. Jesus takes all of our false thoughts and our speech about God. He puts that upon himself and he goes into the oven. He goes into this burning oven and bears God's justice on our behalf so that we don't have to go into that oven. This is the glorious hope that Jesus Christ gives. And with this hope, we can surely, as God has told them back in Malachi, we can rejoice like newborn calves, leaping out of the stalls. It's a great picture to see when you see newborn calves, when they can come out and they're just jumping and bopping around the place. It's like joyful, and this is exactly what Malachi is saying here. In the face of this judgment, God can give us grace and hope, and we can come out like 
calves leaping out of their stalls. Jesus, the Son of Righteousness, has healed us of our broken, sinful state so that we can rejoice here in the face of judgment. So where does Malachi meet us today in 2018? Here's something written two and a half thousand years ago. A millennia, two, two and a half millennia back. How does it speak to us today? Here we are sitting in uh, Shepparton. Israel's issue back then is they didn't trust God because of all the injustice that they were seeing. They were putting their hope and their trust in everything else but God. That was their issue. They weren't trusting in Him. So there's two ways we can look at this here. For those who aren't Christians today, for those who are sitting here before me and they haven't made Jesus Christ as your Lord, you haven't called Him your Lord and lived your life in obedience and submission to Him, I have to ask this question. What are you trusting in on this judgment day when you stand before God's burning oven of justice? So if you're not a believer in Christ, you're not following Jesus. If he's not your Lord and Saviour, and you're standing before the burning oven of justice, what are you going to say? What are you going to say that will keep you out of that oven? What are you going to tell God? A weird exchange. I would love to tell you about Jesus who went into that oven for us. Because that is the only thing that will keep you out of that oven. Nothing else will stand. For those of you who are Christians, already following Christ, maybe you're like these people in Malachi. Maybe you've experienced a whole heap of injustice in your life. Maybe there's been plenty of times when you've been the victim where somebody stepped all over you. And just maybe these doubts have come into your own mind. God, where is your justice? God, where are you in all of this injustice that I'm facing? Where are you in all of this? And we look around the world and we continue to see it today. Terrorism goes sort of undealt with in many respects. We can't seem to track these guys down and actually bring them to justice. Or maybe somebody's stolen from you. And I know that's happened to a couple here in this church in the last few days. Maybe somebody's come and robbed you and you can't track down the criminals. Maybe somebody's gossiped your name with no truth in that gossip at all just to destroy your character and you feel like this is an injustice. And you might say to yourself, God, where are you? What's happening here? Why are these people able to get away with this and what's going on? We've got to be just like those people here in Malachi and God addresses them as he would address us today. We need to trust in God that he is just that he is just and that he will bring justice. And we are just like those people in Malachi, actually. We are just like those people in Malachi, the same position. What were they doing? They were waiting for this messenger to come. They were waiting for Jesus to come. And he did come 400 years later for the people of Malachi for the first time. And we're no different. We are waiting for Jesus to come. We are waiting for Jesus to come. He was the messenger of justice the first time. He'll be the the deliverer of justice the second time. So we are waiting for that justice to be carried out. We're no different to the people of Malachi. And because we can see that God fulfilled his word once with Jesus coming 400 years later as the Messiah, after Malachi has been written, so that we can trust him again that he will bring his justice once and for all when Jesus comes a second time. God can be trusted and we must trust in him. Let me just close with this last verse here. 
um, out of Proverbs. It says it here in Proverbs 3.5, and you'll, you'll all know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That's the call for us today from Malachi. God is greater than you think. We need to trust him despite the doubts that may come in our mind, despite what, might be, what we might see happening around about us in the circumstances of life. We must trust in God. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you today uh, for the book of Malachi. Thank you, Lord, you speak uh, so clearly to us uh, through that book today. Uh, Lord, thank you for the sober warnings of your justice. Uh, Lord, really that is an act of your grace that you are willing to reveal to us, uh, Lord, that great and terrible day that is coming. That day, Lord, that will be like a burning oven where all the arrogant, the evildoers, the sorcerers, the adulterers, all those, Lord, who have not trusted in Jesus Christ will be cast into that burning oven for eternity. God, I pray, help us to get that picture. Help that picture, Lord, to bring um, a a real focus in our heart and our minds. We we don't wish anybody to go in that oven. And that's not the... That's not the motivation of this talk today, Lord, is, okay, I've been hard done by, I just, I really hope that person goes into that oven at the end of their life. We don't want anybody to go in that oven. Father, help us to get that, I pray. Help us to see that that is exactly why you sent Jesus. He went into that oven on our behalf. Help us, Lord, to spread that message far and wide about the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us today as these doubts come upon us. Help us as we feel like we are hard done by and there's just not justice. Help us to see, Lord, that there may not be justice here on this earth for what's happened to us. Help us to be able to live with that. Knowing that ultimately, Lord, your justice will be carried out. And that all things that have been done wrong will be made right. Father, please, please help us to trust you. Please help us not to be pulled to the left or pulled to the right by all the things and the circumstances that are helping are happening around about us that would sway us off you. Please help us to trust you, Lord, no matter what we see and no matter what we're going through. Help us, Lord, to look forward to this second coming of Christ when justice will be finally delivered. And we will be like calves coming out of the stalls, leaping and rejoicing as we fully comprehend what Jesus has done for us. Lord, thank you for that today and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get um, Sam to come back and uh, lead us again one song, is there any questions at all from today's talk or any questions from Malachi? You can come up there if you like, Sam. If you have uh, any questions, read um, uh, Malachi or any other question about life, I would love to catch up with you. Or if you want some prayer over something, please, please uh, come and see me. Thank you. Hey, do you, can you stand again, please, if you're able to?